The following message was given by Raymond Goodlett on Sunday, April 9th at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com. Welcome, everybody, to the Sunday morning gathering of Redemption Hill Church. It is Palm Sunday. So all over the world, Christians today are remembering that moment where Jesus rode into Jerusalem on that donkey to be proclaimed Messiah. And so we're, we're keeping that in mind as we, as we go through the book of Ruth, and, and we're not going to break from what we've been doing to do a special message on Palm Sunday, but uh, I don't know, it's, it's kind of the thing. When you talk about Jesus every week and who he is and what he does, then you, you never have to have a special message for a Palm Sunday. So open your Bibles, if you will to Ruth chapter 3. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week. And now we're really getting to the good news. We're really starting to see the invisible hand of God turn over this tapestry. We've been staring at the back side of it wondering, when's this good thing going to happen? You, You said all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Are we going to get to see any of that? And this morning... We get to see it quite a bit. Ruth chapter 3, we're going to read the entire chapter and go through it again this morning like we did last week, going through an entire chapter. So when you're there, I'll pray and then we'll begin. Okay, most of you look like you're there. (laughs) Lord, help us as we go through Ruth chapter 3 this morning. Uh, Let your word have, have its transforming effect on our hearts. We believe that even as we listen, that miracle of you changing us into the people that we should be, increasingly making us more like your son, reflecting your character to a watching and listening world, we believe that that happens in moments like this as we're listening to you. So speak, speak, and and for our part, help us to listen well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Ruth chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, that is Ruth, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative whose young women or with whose young women you were? Let me pause real quick. At the end of chapter 2, Ruth had come back and she had an incredible day out there gleaning in the field trying to get some food for them. She ended up with much more than you should after one day's work, and Naomi immediately recognized somebody had been especially kind to Ruth. And Ruth explained that, yeah, yeah, this guy, I went to his field, his name is Boaz. And Naomi says in chapter 2, verse 20, Ruth, this is a close relative of ours. He's, He's one of our redeemers. Now, a redeemer was somebody who could take ownership of their problem. There was someone closely related enough to them by clan that he could actually come into their situation and do for them what they could not do for themselves. He could, at cost, at, at complete and great cost to himself, take ownership of their problem and lift them out of poverty by joining himself to them and saying, your problem will be mine. I'll take care of you. And so Boaz was one of the people who could fulfill that role of redeemer in the life of Ruth and Naomi. So Naomi got to thinking. She says in verse 2, see, Boaz is going to be winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But 
Do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet. And I'm going to have to explain that one in a little bit. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And Ruth replied, all that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain, which is what you did to protect it from anyone that would come and try to steal it. Then Ruth came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. Now at midnight, the man was startled because his feet were cold, right? <laughs> but then he was going to be even more startled in, in just a moment. He, he was startled and he turned over and behold, there was a woman there at his feet. And so he said what any of you would say, who, who are you? And she answered, I'm Ruth, your servant. Now what you can't see in the English, you, you would have to go back to the Hebrew to, to understand this. When Ruth says, I am Ruth, your servant here. That word servant is not the typical word that comes right there and a few words after. It's actually this special Hebrew word that refers to something more like a handmaiden. It's also, it's also the same word used at times to refer to a concubine. There's a connotation to what Ruth is saying here. She says, I am Ruth, your servant. Maybe you've not looked at me like this before, but I'm Ruth, your servant. And then she says, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Boaz, you told me some time ago that I had come under God's wings to take refuge. And Ruth lets it be known here that I'm, I'm also interested, Boaz, in, in your wings. Verse 10. He said, oh, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. See, Boaz understood what Ruth was doing here was an act of kindness. It wasn't, it wasn't that she looked at Boaz and was, was so enthralled with his appearance. That there was kindness at work here. She had Naomi's needs in mind. And she was being kind to Naomi. And she was also being kind, in a sense, to Boaz. And, and so she, Boaz understands that he looks at her and he says, you have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Now, another thing that you, you can't see in the English is where, where he says, all of my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. What he literally says in the Hebrew is all the gate of my people know that you are a worthy woman. What you also may not know is that in the Hebrew Bible, it's not Judges that comes before the book of Ruth. It's the book of Proverbs. The last thing you would have read in Proverbs is Proverbs chapter 31, where it says that this worthy woman is praised at the gate. And then the next thing you read in that Hebrew Bible is the story of Ruth, where Boaz says, all the gate of my people know that you are a worthy woman. Verse 12, and now Boaz says, it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer 
nearer than I. Can you, can you imagine Ruth at this point? Like, really? I mean, got my perfume on, my best outfit, you know. There's another guy? Boaz goes on, there's another redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And Boaz said to her, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And then he said, bring the garment that you are wearing and hold it out. I'll save it. Bring the garment that you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And that's about 80 pounds of barley. This guy is clearly showing some special attention toward Ruth. Verse 16, then Ruth, when she came home to her mother-in-law, Naomi said to her, how did you fare, my daughter? Now consider the situation she sent her in. She just dumps all that barley out. Here's how I fared. But what you can't notice again in the English, what you can't notice again in the English is that she actually asks a different question here. I was shocked to discover this. You, I, I think people feared that this was mistranslated, and so they just found some better way to, to say what they thought Naomi was saying. But she literally asked her the exact same question that Boaz asked her when he rolled over and found this woman at his feet. When, when Ruth comes home, Naomi looks at her and says, Who are you, my daughter? Which makes perfect sense if Naomi was hoping that something would have happened that night. Are you still the widow of my son, Malin, or are you now Mrs. Boaz? Who are you, my daughter? She dumps out the grain, and then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. I think Boaz understood somebody was at work behind the scenes. Here. Set your mother-in-law's mind at ease. So Ruth replied, or Naomi replied rather, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Lord, help us again as we make sense of what we've just read. And some way, somehow, by your Spirit, help us to see how this applies to us today as well. Help us to know you more, And help us to to walk in all of your ways as we study this together. In Jesus' name, amen. With the time that we have left, we'll see this, this chapter takes us through a progression from a risky plan to a bold request to a godly response and then finally to the promise of rest. So let let's start with Naomi's risky plan. Now, yes, they needed a redeemer, and as far as Naomi was concerned, time was running out. It it had been about six to eight weeks since Ruth first met Boaz. Now, we know that in part from what we read in verse 2. Look at it again. She says, Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? So Naomi is no longer going out in the field every day with Boaz's other young women. She had been with them in the past, but that time 
is over. And we, we, get a, we get it confirmed by the next part, which says, see, he is winnowing barley at the threshing floor tonight. So after all the harvesting had been done, usually six to eight weeks, and all of that, that wheat and barley had been gathered, it was taken to the threshing floor where it would be thrown up in the air with a winnowing fork. The wind would blow the chaff away and the, the part that was useful would fall back down to the ground and, and, and you would keep it. Right? So when you read Psalm chapter 1 and it talks about the ungodly being like the chaff that the wind drives away, you, you've kind of got a picture in your head. Right? But the good stuff comes back down and remains where it should. So that's what's going on. It's about six to eight weeks after this incredible encounter that we read about last week. And as far as Naomi's concerned, nothing. No progress in their relationship. What's this Boaz guy doing? I imagine every day she's checking in. Well, I got some more barley. Okay. Anything else? Right? Is, is anything else going on? So, so here it is. They, they come in. And Boaz has sh shown Ruth some attention up to this point. But... but it's not yet clear that he has any intention behind it. So Naomi, of course, decides to stir the pot. She decides to move things along. Now, we all know what it's like. We all know what it's like to have that concerned relative <laughs> who wants to set us up, right, with somebody they think is a good catch. Well, Naomi was convinced Boaz was a good catch, and she was also convinced that these two needed some help. So... She hatches a plan, and it was a risky plan to say the least. Now, I want you to listen carefully to what she tells her. Ruth, wash, get clean. He's always seen you out in the field, sweaty and dirty. We're going to change that. Go ahead and get clean. And anoint yourself. That means put on your best perfume. I saw a list of uh, this week, and I don't, don't, don't go look it up, but I saw a list of, of proven psychological ways to attract a good man. Number four on the list was make, take advantage of your perfume. The whole list was pretty shallow. Even the part that said, I mean, this was the, this was the pinnacle of the advice. If you ask me my opinion, this was the best the advice got, and it wasn't that great. It was make sure you know a little bit about like history and current events and that stuff so that you'll be interesting in a conversation. I thought, wow. Who writes this stuff? <laughs> Worse yet, who thinks this way? Like, it, uh, anyway, where, where was I? What was, what, my, what was my point? Yes, here's her advice. Put on some perfume. And then put on your cloak or, or maybe your, your best outfit. Make sure, make sure you have a cloak with you because it'll get pretty cold. And I intend for you to be out there for a while. And then, after all that, go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him see you. Just kind of stalk him. Make sure you see him, know where he is. And, and then, after he's finished eating and drinking, <laughs> I have three daughters. I will personally come after anyone who tells my daughters anything like this. <laughs> I, I, I'm not kidding. <laughs> all, right, so just, all right, just so you know. So we're straight on that. After he has finished eating and drinking, mark the place where he lies down and then make your move. Go and uncover his feet, snuggle up next to him, and then wait for him to tell you what should happen next. 
I will come after you <laughs> if you tell my daughters anything like this. What in the world is going on here? This is not the kind of advice one godly woman should be trying to give another. No matter how desperate you think things are getting. There, there is no reason for this. What, I mean, what's going on? What, here's, here's one way I'll try to salvage the situation. There, there is a possibility here that in what Naomi is communicating, it is possible that up to this point, Boaz has still seen Ruth primarily as a widow in mourning. And so the way she goes about dressing and all that, she's just, you know how it is when somebody has just gotten out of something and they're not ready for another relationship at this point. And so even if you are attracted to that person or you, you are considering maybe there's something there, you, out of concern and, and care for that other person, you, you withhold showing too much of that attention and certainly any intention. The time is just not right. It is possible that Naomi thinks, you know, Boaz is a very godly man upstanding character, this might be part of what's going on. Maybe he really is as interested in Ruth as I suspect, because guys don't usually do what he's doing here, but um, maybe he just needs a little nudge. So Ruth, I want you to make it very clear that you're no longer in mourning, right? And if you, if you want something to kind of back that up so it's not just my loose opinion, if, if you go back and read uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, David is, is kind of in a period of mourning while he thinks the baby that was born to him in Bathsheba might still make it. He kind of does this reverse mourning. He acts like he's in mourning while the child's alive. After the child dies, he gets up and the Bible says he washes, he anoints himself, he changes his clothes, and then he returns to life as normal. All right, so there, there, is, there is this thing of washing, anointing, and changing clothes that communicates I'm no longer in mourning. As for what Naomi has in her mind, I think it goes beyond that a little bit. I think she's really trying to make some sparks fly here. Um, but I, but I, I think at the very least, she probably has something even more noble in mind. Now, let's pick it back up again. What is going to happen here? This was a risky plan, to say the least. And then on top of it, Ruth presents a very bold request. Now, let's look at what she says. Ruth chapter 10, or rather chapter 3, verse 10 or back up a little bit. Let's go to chapter, chapter 6. Ruth says, I'll do everything that you said. And then in verse 7, after Boaz had eaten and drunk, his heart was merry. He went to lie down, and then Ruth came up and snuck up on him and lay down by his feet. Moved his cloak a little bit, exposed his bare feet. And then when, when, when he woke up, he looks at her and says, who are you? It's kind of dark. And, and she says, it's Ruth. And I want to make it very clear um, I'm, I'm not here um, like some, some stray woman off the street. I want you to marry me. This is essentially, she proposes to Boaz here. When she says, you are a redeemer, put your cloak over me. As a dad of three girls, I mean, they're too close for my liking at this point already. Ruth says, put your cloak over me. If you, read, if you read Ezekiel chapter 16, this will make more sense. This is Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 8. This is the Lord speaking about Israel. And he said, when I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age or the stage for love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and I entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. 
This is what Ruth is asking Boaz to do. Communicate in a clear way that you are entering into a covenant with me by putting your cloak over your servant and making a covenant so that I become yours. Boaz understands that. Now, he could have responded by saying, man, this is a little forward, and this, this could have gone badly in so many ways. But after this risky plan and this bold request, look at Boaz's godly response. Boaz in verse 10 says, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter, my daughter. He treats her, he treats her with absolute purity. He says, may you be blessed by the Lord. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have gone after young men, whether poor or rich. I'll tell you what, the humility of Boaz. He doesn't sit here and say, you know, I've got a lot of things going on for me. I'm a a decent looking guy. I'm wealthy. I'm a good catch. I don't know why other people have been ignoring me for years. You know, that's not Boaz. He understands. There's a real humility in this man that you can't, you can't pretend to be humble and come up with this. Do you, you know what I mean? You know like how as Christians we often pretend to be humble? We try really hard to be humble because we're not. Humility comes out of this man because he is humble. <clears throat> and he, and he, he responds to Ruth in a very godly manner. And he, and he says in verse 13, <clears throat> let me not skip all this other good stuff. Verse 11, now my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. But there's another one. There's one closer or nearer than I. So he says, remain tonight. And in the morning, if he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he will not, I will redeem you. As the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie down until the morning. And in the most innocent way, he tells Ruth to spend the night with him, not so that he can take advantage of her vulnerability, but to protect her from other people who might want to do that. This was a dangerous place for a woman to be. It was dark. And imagine if it was a threat, if it was a potential threat for Ruth to be out there in broad daylight in the field, imagine what it was like to be at the threshing floor at night after guys had been drinking. So Boaz, in order to protect her, says, remain here. Remain here for the night. I'll protect you. I'll keep you safe. You're you're safe with me. Now, let me me take this moment. Right after this, he says, just make sure in the next, when when she wakes up, don't let anyone know that you've come to the threshing floor. It is possible that after Boaz does whatever he does the next morning, Ruth could become another person's wife. Yes? So Boaz relates to her that way. This is, let me, let me try to make some application for us. This is really important, right, for all of us as young men and young women. <clears throat> if someone is not your wife, gentlemen, she could very well become someone else's. You are to treat her with that reality in mind. You are not to touch her. Uh, you are not to, I, I, would, I would go as far as saying you are not even to speak to her in a manner that would cause her heart to drift to a place where she is beginning to believe that she is yours. You have to be careful. Boaz, a man of integrity, says here, it is very possible that God will give you to another man. I will treat you as God's daughter until we know what he has decided. 
this is a great example for every Christian man to look at and to adopt. Some things in the Bible are simply descriptive without being prescriptive. They tell us what did happen without telling us what should happen and what we should do. Uh, Naomi's plan, for example. Descriptive, not prescriptive, okay? Don't, don't try that at home. This is prescriptive. Men, right? We, we don't want to do that. Now, one of, the, one of the things that's also very in- instructive for me here is if you look at what Boaz says to her in Ruth chapter 3, verse 14. He says, don't, don't let anybody know that you've come here to the threshing floor. Because you see, Naomi, or rather Ruth, actually spent the night with Boaz there, yes? At the time, because of the position Boaz was put in, this seemed to be the most godly thing to do in order to protect Ruth, yeah? And so he, he, he did that. Under normal, normal circumstances, he would not, but, but given where he was, he decided that this was the best thing to do. But clearly Boaz did not think that it was, all other things being equal, appropriate for him to be spending the night with a woman like this who was not his wife. Clearly he didn't think it was appropriate for Ruth to be spending the night like this with him, yes? I mention this because as a pastor I know we, we, we speak with young people a lot. And it used to be, almost, you could almost take it for granted 10 to 15 years ago that those who were professing Christians and who came up in churches understood that, that Christians ought not to live together before they're married. They ought not to cohabitate. They ought not to share a bed before they're married. I, I have discovered in conversation with well-meaning Christians today, younger Christians, that that is no longer something we can take for granted. I don't know how exactly that conviction has been lost on us, but it, it, is, it is not as prevalent today as it was when, when I was 20 years old. I see more confusion now, than, and it's genuine confusion. They look at me and they ask me, well, why is this wrong? Like as a pastor, they're saying, help me understand, I believe you, but help me understand why this is wrong. We're not technically sinning. We're just sharing a residence. We're, we're just... We're actually sleeping. We're not, we're not sinning. And, and I have to look at them and, and, and say, you know, on some technical level, sure, you haven't gone as far in the direction of sin as you could. But look at Ephesians chapter 5 very quickly. Look at Ephesians chapter 5 verse 3. Right before this, in chapter 5 verse 1, it says, Be imitators of God. And then it begins to explain in a number of ways how we as Christians throughout the chapter might become imitators of God. Right? So everything you read in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33 about husbands and wives and their respective roles is actually an outworking of the command to be imitators of God in how you relate together as married people. He's, he's extending the context. One of the things he, st- he says as he begins in verse 3 is this. He says, sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. The NIV says it this way, let there not even be a hint of sexual immorality among you, as is proper among the saints, as is fitting. See, it is unfitting for us to conduct ourselves as Christians in a way that would even suggest to somebody who knows what's going on that there is sin involved. Is everybody, do you understand that there? That there should not even be a hint. Now, you may be here this morning and, and you're, you're listening to this and you're thinking, well, I, I've not done that the right way. Right. Right. Uh, 
so here's, let me, let me say this. Look around really quickly. If you didn't know it before, you're going to know it now. We're not perfect. Does everybody, we're, we're, we have not all done things the right way all the time. Right? But we, we have an opportunity to learn from God here. And this beautiful thing that, that, that the Bible calls repentance, we have this opportunity to hear God speak into our lives and to turn in a direction that is more pleasing to him, okay? So, and and there, are, there are implications to that. So there are financial implications. Maybe you're saving money by doing this. It's, it's more important for you to live in a manner that is in accordance with God's word than it is for you to save some money. Let, let the, the Christian community that cares about your purity and the example of godliness that you're putting out, tell us your situation. Let us try to help you figure it out, okay? There's got to be some way for us to, guy, to get you guys out of a situation like that, if that's you. All right, so moving on then. Boaz says very clearly, don't let anybody know that this was the case because he's not just interested in protecting Ruth physically from harm. He wants to protect her name and her reputation as well. If you've ever seen Pride and Prejudice, this is like Darcy swooping in, right, to, to save the, the, the family na- name from, what is it, Lydia? That's right. See, I have three daughters. I, I, I know stuff that I should never know. But when Lydia was about to ruin the family name, if you've ever seen Pride and Prejudice, Darcy swoops in like a redeemer and, and does his thing and nobody knows. All right, so there we go. Poor, don't be Mr. Wickham if you've seen it, guys. <laughs> Mr. Wickham. I have no idea where I am. Yeah, let me get back to this here. Eventually, I am getting to Jesus. Now, you can, you can see this risky plan. You can see... Ruth's bold requests. You can see Boaz's godly response, and now finally here's a promise of rest. I want you to look at what Boaz tells Ruth. Can you imagine how reassuring this is to Ruth? When he looks at her in verse 13 and says, listen, tomorrow, tomorrow, for for the longest time you have not known where your next meal is coming from. You are without the usual means of protection and provision in this society. You are a childless widow. And Boaz looks at her and says, Ruth, you don't don't need to scramble anymore. You don't need to fend for yourself. I am telling you, I'm not first in line. But the way the the law works, there's this other guy we've got to settle issues with. but, But if he will not redeem you, if he will not take full responsibility for your situation... If he will not be the redeemer for you and Naomi, I will tomorrow. It's one thing for a guy to promise that. It's another thing for him to put a timetable on it, yes? It's one thing for a guy to carelessly speak about the future and and sound like he's promising himself to you. It's another thing for him to put a ring on your finger, yeah? One leads to insecurity. The other leads to security. And Boaz, Boaz, I'm saying a whole lot I didn't plan to say. Boaz looks at Ruth and says, I want you to lie down until the morning. And he tells her here to lie down, not just just to sleep. He doesn't just want her to get sleep. He wants her to get rest. Do you understand the difference? Have you ever gotten what, in terms of hours, seemed like a full night's sleep, but you woke up exhausted because your mind couldn't rest, 
your heart couldn't rest, then you know the difference between sleep and rest. You can get plenty of sleep and no rest at all. Boaz says, Ruth, you can finally rest. In my promise, by tomorrow, your problems are over. The promise of rest. Now what I want to say to you this morning, we're beginning to close, is Boaz fulfills the role of a redeemer here for Ruth and Naomi. And in the same way that he does this for them, Jesus does that for us today. Jesus is the one who serves as our Redeemer. Now, maybe you've heard that Redeemer term applied to Jesus before, and you just kind of get used to it. But I hope it means a little bit more to you after this morning. What a Redeemer does here is notice, notice exactly how Boaz offers rest to Ruth. He says, basically, Ruth, your problem is now my problem. Your condition of poverty, this economic, this, this worse possible economic and social position you find yourself in, I am going to bring you out of it. You can't do it for yourself, but I have the resources to bring you out of this position. And your problem is now my problem. In fact, at the beginning of this chapter, Ruth is speaking to Naomi, and Naomi says, shouldn't I seek rest for you, Ruth? Ruth is currently without rest, without security, without certainty regarding the future. She, she has no rest for her mind or her heart, and Naomi says, I want that to change. Shouldn't I seek rest for you? But by the time you get to verse 8, look at it again. Watch what Boaz does. I want you to understand how he fulfills his role as redeemer. By the time you get to verse 8, it's Boaz's rest that is interrupted. Do you see it? He was resting, and Ruth wakes him up with her problem. And Boaz breaks his rest to bring rest to Ruth. Oh, such that at the end of the passage, look at verse 18. Naomi looks at, at Ruth and says, Ruth, you can rest because Boaz will not. He will not rest until this is settled. Until your problem is fully solved, he will take your restlessness from you and put it on himself. Friends, Jesus takes our condition upon himself and serves us as our redeemer. Now, our condition was not simply social and economic. It was spiritual. We were without rest. We were separated from God. We had no hope. We could not fix this ourselves. We could not take our case to the one place where it could be settled. And Ruth could not go to the gate that we'll see next week. She could not go to the gate where the courts would settle the issue. Boaz had to take her case into that courtroom where it could be decided by the judge. And Jesus had to take our case to the one place where it could be settled before God. You can't go there. You cannot walk up to the throne of God and present your own case for him to forgive you. You cannot go there. 
There must be a redeemer who takes ownership of your problem and your condition, your sinfulness, your separation from God. He must take it onto himself and he must be qualified and recognized in this courtroom to step in on your behalf. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, you everlasting doors. Who is the king of glory? Who is this who comes in? The king of glory, the king, strong and mighty. Jesus is coming in. Open the gates. He's bringing your case in with him. Oh, man, you can't go there. This is why you can't just choose a religion. This is why you can't just say, oh, maybe there's another way to do this. No, no, no. In this case, when it comes to bringing you out of spiritual poverty, there is only one redeemer. There is only one. Jesus doesn't have to wait for anybody else. He doesn't look at us and say, tomorrow I'll do this. He says, right now. Your restlessness can end right now. Because he has already taken the sins of his people before the throne of God. See, it's Palm Sunday. And everyone watched Jesus come into Jerusalem on this donkey. And they said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Make way. Let him in. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. To take away the sins of his people. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We've been waiting so long. This long expected Messiah. And this is why I love songs. I love some of the songs we sing here. I'll close with this. Come, thou long expected Jesus. Born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. You can have rest this morning through your Redeemer, Jesus Christ, who took our sins unto himself. For our sake, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He took our place in judgment so that we could join him in glory. You can be forgiven of everything this morning if you will simply receive Jesus. He said it this way. You can rest in his promise. Matthew 11, 28, 29. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened or heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you, for I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Lord, help us. Help us this morning to find rest for our souls in receiving you as our Redeemer. As we receive these elements of communion, that remind us of the sacrifice that you made for us and the blood that you took into the courtroom on our behalf which secured our forgiveness and our eternal rest. Help us to honor you now, Lord, not by working really hard, trying to to be the best religious version of ourselves, but, but simply by trusting that what you did was enough and letting that same faith by which we receive forgiveness continue to wash us and sanctify us, and, and, and make us more like you as we go along. We ask this in your name, Jesus, and everybody said, Amen. You've been listening to a message by Raymond Goodlett given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com.